Welcome to the Experts Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. Today we are going to discuss vitamin D. Its use has grown enormously, so the question for us is to better understand the nature of the vitamin, its pros and its cons, and then to ask a critical clinical question. Do as many people who take it actually need it? Dr. David Liferos is a professor of medicine at Nova Southeast University in Florida. Thank you for being here. Thank you very much for having me. Let's start with a really simple basic. What is a vitamin and then what is vitamin D? That's a, the best place to start. Vitamin D is actually not even truly a vitamin because a vitamin is an organic compound that a, an individual, an organism needs in order to survive that it can't naturally provide itself by way of manufacturing. And so it must be provided to that individual from diet or other sources. Vitamin D doesn't technically fit that criteria because we can manufacture vitamin D. So that while diet is the major source of vitamin D to us, so is sunlight. And because we can manufacture vitamin D in our skin by way of exposure to sunlight, it is still a very essential compound but yet is not truly a vitamin. So if sunlight is critical, we have evolved into a society where we wear a lot of clothes and then we mostly work indoors. It's not the person who I guess is working outside or the farmer. How serious is it a problem by virtue of how we're living our lives? It hasn't become a dramatic problem, although therein lies part of the rub because we haven't truly defined what the definition of vitamin D deficiency really is. And so where does that level of vitamin D exist at which it is problematic? We do know that vitamin D levels have decreased slightly, but at the same time, because of our addition to vitamin D to foods, such as milk, we have been able to primarily maintain a reasonable level of vitamin D amongst the general population. And reasonable means a level greater than 10 although most people would say that a therapeutic level of vitamin D is somewhere between 25 and 50. So if we go by that standard, perhaps somewhere in the range of 60 to 70% of people, even in the state of Florida, are vitamin D deficient. Especially so in the winter months. Correct. There is a bit of a misconception that a small amount of exposure to sun will give us all the vitamin D we need, but that is dependent upon your geographic location. You need much more sun when you're living in northern climates than in southern climates. You need more sun in the wintertime compared to summertime. And so time of exposure and location of the individual is very important. Does it stay in our bodies? If I were to take a good dose of vitamin D at the beginning of the week, would there still be sufficient quantities of it in my body at the end of the week? There would be. Vitamin D is one of the four fat-soluble vitamins. And so being a fat-soluble vitamin, it is a storable vitamin, which is both a pro and a con. Because in those individuals who are over-supplementing with vitamin D, there is such a thing as taking too much and having too much on board. The FDA has been fighting this battle a bit as of late because of the explosion of vitamin D supplementation and the news surrounding vitamin D and its entry into the marketplace. And so the FDA is encouraging that we as a population do not allow our vitamin D levels to go much above 50, even though it's really not till 300 that vitamin D is considered toxic. Somewhere in that range between 25 and 50 is probably the sweet spot, allowing vitamin D levels to be slightly higher up to 100 is okay, but certainly not beyond that. Does the vitamin D requirement change with age? It does change. The American Academy of Pediatrics recommends that vitamin D supplementation in young infants and children up to young adulthood should be somewhere in the vicinity of 400 IUs, international units. Early adulthood up until age 60, the current recommendation is 600 units 
of vitamin D daily above the age of 65. It's perhaps 800 units of vitamin D daily. So the requirements do change with age. Now, that's very interesting because when I walk through the drugstores, they sell it in 1,000 international unit pills. And that's higher than the numbers that you've elicited here. Is, is that they a problem? Do. It's not really a problem because I think that those products are particularly intended for that percentage of the population that is vitamin D deficient. Because in order to overcome that deficiency, you do need in the range of 1,000 to 2,000 okay. units daily for a fairly extended period of time until you're now in a normal range and then you can start cutting back. Again, that also depends on what your dietary intake is over time. As we get older, we tend to take less with regards to dairy products, for instance. Fewer adults are drinking milk because perhaps of lactose intolerance or just because of dietary changes that they've adopted over the years. Our other major source of vitamin D is vegetables and fish, particularly mushrooms and fatty fish such as salmon. Those don't seem to be a problem, but they don't have nearly as much vitamin D in it as do the fortified milk product. So because we're not getting as much intake over time, our requirements do tend to go up. We don't tend to get 400 units of vitamin D daily, and so it's, we have to supplement with a higher number to achieve that balance. Fair enough. What does it do? Why do we need it? There's an association between vitamin D and calcium. I'd just like to hear you explain a little bit of that, please. It has lots of little jobs that it does for us. Its primary function is to help with the availability of calcium. And so it improves calcium absorption in the gut, which is very, very important, and is actually one of the reasons that the FDA has recently asked particularly elderly women to take less calcium and simply supplement with vitamin D instead because we can utilize that calcium better if we take vitamin D along with it. So absorption is very, very important. It's also responsible for calcium and phosphorus homeostasis, maintaining adequate levels in the body of both of those products. It helps with bone resorption, which is actually very important. Bone is a living organ that grows and dies and needs to be cleaned up, in essence, as its turnover continues. It's that process on a highway where the truck in front is tearing up the pavement as the truck behind is laying new pavement behind it. That's called an osteoclast, and vitamin D is very essential for osteoclast function to help keep our bones fresh and new. And then it also helps our parathyroid gland work. And the parathyroid gland is also responsible for calcium and phosphorus homeostasis as well. So there's four major roles that calcium plays in our body. And what would be a typical, if there is a typical, a typical suggestion to you as a physician that someone might be suffering from a vitamin D deficiency? Well, in the old days, it was rickets, which we don't see anymore. Not really ever since the 1930s when they started fortifying milk with vitamin D. We haven't seen rickets anymore. That osteomalacia is the other medical term for rickets. So instead, what we're seeing very commonly, particularly in women, particularly in elderly, fragile women, is osteoporosis. So apart from osteoporosis, the signs and symptoms of vitamin D deficiency are very difficult to find. The question has been over the last couple of years, what is the consequence of unrecognized vitamin D deficiency? when we can't otherwise find it, and should we go searching for it? And I think the current consensus is yes, that we should. And so getting your vitamin D level maybe once a year is a reasonable request? I think it is. I do myself routinely check vitamin D levels at least once a year in patients. A lot of women take pre-packaged combinations of calcium and vitamin D. I think a lot of women are wondering if their bone problems, slight fractures or the osteomalacia, 
clearly can be prevented if they were taking vitamin D earlier. Is there any sense of that, prophylactic vitamin D use? There is not. There is no evidence to suggest that taking vitamin D has caused the reversal of osteoporosis. There is some suggestion that it can help with the prevention of osteoporosis, although that data is still sketchy. Again, what the FDA has suggested in women, and women are quite confused at this point, and I think partly the medical community is as well, is that the FDA is backing away from calcium as well, that there are consequences to over-calcium supplementation, particularly in elderly women that far exceed its benefits, particularly kidney stones. And so it seems as though as long as your vitamin D intake is adequate, you don't need as much calcium, although there is no current recommendation for vitamin D as a treatment of osteoporosis, but perhaps as a preventative measure for osteoporosis. What happens if someone takes too much vitamin D? Is there a toxic quality to it? There is. Again, you have to take a lot. I mentioned earlier that the toxic level is when you get to 300, so it's very, very difficult to get to 300, but it can cause some substantial problems with alterations in cellular metabolism. There is a suggestion that perhaps vitamin D has a protective role in some cancers, although that data is very, very contradictory. But what is clear is that there is a cellular degeneration that can occur as vitamin D levels get too high. So what it is doing for us in a preventative way at lower levels, it's doing in a destructive way at higher levels. Which is an interesting thought because if a lot of people go to the drugstores and they see all the vitamins there, there really isn't the sense of monitoring how much they're swallowing. And a lot of people are probably taking a lot more than is safe or, or certainly necessary. I think we need to consciously explain this to people that it's not just a benign substance. There's a real pharmacologic quality to it. Particularly when it comes to any of the fat-soluble vitamins, that is true. Particularly vitamin A can be a very dangerous vitamin when taken at too high levels. Vitamin E as well, and vitamin D. So you're absolutely right, and the FDA is finally getting into this arena. They are finally starting to test over-the-counter products in all sorts of supplemental arenas, whether they're talking about ginkgo or St. John's wort or so-called designer multivitamins where people are spending hundreds of dollars a month on supplements. And the data clearly doesn't support the use of high-dose vitamin therapy for a lot of patients. There is no data that suggests that a designer package of vitamins that costs you many dollars per month does any better in terms of keeping you well than a multivitamin that's intended to be taken once a day that we can buy over the counter for a fraction of the price. There's also been a great deal of discussion of late that vitamin D has a potential role in managing inflammatory processes such as rheumatoid arthritis. And so people are looking to vitamin D because they've got bad arthritis or whatever their particular condition is, even fibromyalgia. It has been associated with, or at least the association has been attempted. I'm not sure that it has actually been definitively proven. The vitamin D somehow reduces the cytokine activity and hence reduces the inflammation activity? I don't think there's great data to support that. I think that there's better data coming with regards to vitamin D's impact on cardiovascular disease, vitamin D's impact on the progression of diabetes, uh, diabetes impact on mood has been fairly well established. Vitamin D can have a positive mood effect and that particularly in the male population where there's a vitamin D deficiency, they seem to be more prone to depressive disorders than men who have normal vitamin D levels. 
when it comes to the inflammatory process, I think there's much less information. We do have data that suggests that vitamin D is very important for uh, cell turnover, cell growth, cellular mechanisms that have to do with regulation of normal cellular activity on a more fundamental level when it comes down to cytokines. I myself have not seen that kind of data to suggest that this is going to be a great anti-inflammatory agent. But it's been suggested and people hear this and then they go out and take the vitamin D because they can get it at the grocery store. Exactly. And there, again, is a huge problem, not just with vitamin D, but with all sorts of supplements that we're constantly hearing on the radio when it comes to prostate health in men and a product that tries to assure you prostate health. That data doesn't exist. Over-the-counter testosterones that people are buying, they don't work, but yet they're allowed to make all sorts of unsubstantiated claims, and that's where we need to step in. The FDA is starting to, and we need to create some better clarity to the general population because I think there's lots of confusion. Do you think that when someone takes vitamin D and they, they report that they feel better, they feel more energy, that we're just perhaps normalizing their phosphorus, calcium, and other electrolyte abnormalities that they may have had and be very subtle? Yes, I do. There is a clear association between vitamin D and energy. Vitamin D can energize patients. Vitamin D levels are very directly correlated to that, so that patients with low levels are often very fatigued, Patient with high levels feel very normal. Many years ago, we used to use calcium channel blockers a great deal in psychiatry with especially bipolar disorders. It didn't work that well. But the concept was there that if we could normalize the calcium levels inside cells that we could balance things out. The question then became, where is the flaw? And maybe it was a vitamin D deficiency. And unfortunately, to my knowledge, it was not really pursued in terms of research, probably because there wasn't a lot of money to be gained in doing formal research in this. But it's an interesting concept that there's a connection between vitamin D, energy level, calcium. You know, the dots are all there on the table. How do we connect them? I don't know. I don't know. But a fascinating thing. It really is. I mean, we we tend to think of vitamin D, calcium, and bones. Keep them in that organ system. And the reality is that, like I said earlier, vitamin D is responsible for lots of cellular mechanisms that exist throughout the entire body. And that seems to where it seems to have its impact on gastrointestinal health. I mentioned cardiovascular health earlier, perhaps even diabetes. And then there is the issue of the association between vitamin D and cancer. And does it have a protective effect there? Or is it a detrimental problem if you have low vitamin D? It's not just a skeletal organ system that vitamin D is active in. It's clearly active throughout the entire body, including the brain, I I suspect. If someone has any of these symptoms, it is worth the time discussing this with their physician and getting a real blood level rather than just assuming that they can go out and take a lot of it. Correct. Again, it goes back to the notion that vitamins are wonderful, but they're not benign. They are real pharmacologic entities. They're real molecules that do something to our bodies. They do, and because of that, there is too little and there's too much. And I think the public has to be aware of that because there is the tendency that if a little is good, a lot is better. And we see a lot of that in the general population, and we simply can't allow them to do that with vitamin D because they can get themselves in trouble. And I would imagine, as we have discussed many times, that one of the first things that needs to be done is to look at lifestyle, to look at the diet, to look at are you getting into the sun at all, are you doing exercise, all the traditional things that seem to be so integral to the good biological balance in our bodies. 
Absolutely. In Florida, it's a little bit of a push-pull. We're asking patients to stay out of the sun, to wear sunscreens, to wear long-sleeve clothing. It's the clothing that prevents vitamin D manufacturing from the sun more than the sunscreens. But you mentioned earlier that we have changes where we're indoors more and we're outdoors less and we're wearing different clothing. And and that has a big impact. Racially, culturally, there are impacts as well. Fair-skinned people have different vitamin D levels than dark-skinned people. And so geographically, there's an issue. Culturally, there's an issue. Racially, there's an issue. When all else fails, though, we can simply get enough vitamin D with proper supplementation through diet and with vitamins. Very good. I thank you very much because I think a lot of people really need to hear what we talked about and to look at it realistically and keep it in a balance. Dr. David Liparis is a professor of medicine at Nova Southeast University in Florida, and we've been talking about vitamin D with a lot of details and the pros and the cons. Thank you very much, sir. My pleasure.